Welcome back to the Archie Sonic Digest. And, you know, the last episode we covered was a, a real page turner, if you'll forgive the pun. We finished we finished the last Ken Penders comic, a, a milestone that I truly did not think I would reach. But thanks to the help of a lot of guests that I've had that f- were my... F- they are my friends. I need to stress that. They are my friends. And I thank them very much for letting me vomit talk these comics to them for like an hour and a half per session and look where we are now got my friend aaron with me here he's back again to help comb through what we've got to talk about today because today is a very special a very special episode because we're going to be sitting down and just sort of taking a look back right we finished ken pender's the classic era of the comics is done and dusted behind us now. But before we move on to Ian Flynn and what he's got prepared for us, I think it's valuable time for us to just sit down and look where we came from so that we can truly appreciate what we're going to see next. So obviously we are freed. I had made that mention many times last episode and we are moving on to something that is obviously much more palatable. But as Speed mentioned... There is a lot to dig through. Um, We have really scratched the surface with some of these Pender's concepts and ideas. You know, we've talked a lot about his writing, the sort of megalomania complex he has, and and how he feels he is somehow this this chosen hero in the world of writing. I, I don't know. But if there was one thing we haven't dove into, it's sort of the history of how... Pender specifically got us to this point. Well, we sort of have through the comic, but there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that didn't really come to light until years later. Right. Which is why we're doing this episode. Because I think Speed's intention here, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but this is just my thoughts on it, is clearly to have a deeper understanding of the roots rather than the plant itself. Because, you know, we've talked so much about this guy, why not have a better understanding of what was and what wasn't? Right, right. And we're going to talk all about in turn. And before we begin truly, I want to begin with a quote. Uh, Fan of the show, friend of mine, Kai, this one's for you, buddy. He once uh, said in our Discord server, direct quote, I like listening to Speed's show as background noise, but I don't understand why he likes these comics. First mistake is thinking I like these comics. <laughs> <laughs> well, at, at, at least, like, <laughs> the period of time after Endgame, right? Right, and I will say, uh, I did not grow up with, like, the Ken Penders run of these comics. I was a literal child when Ken Penders was running the show, basically. As was I, yeah. I showed this on the last episode, my very first comic that I ever bought, Sonic the Hedgehog number 157. 
I don't remember how old I was when I got that, but I remember I got it when it released. And that was Ken Penders right at the end of his run, essentially. I don't have any nostalgia for Ken Penders. That's what I'm trying to say here. I have a lot of nostalgia for Ian Flynn. I am admitting that up front. Once we get to that run of the comics, we're going to have a lot more positive things to say. Will a lot of it be because of nostalgia? 100%, without a doubt. So... Me being so harsh on Ken Penders was because I was reading them in the rawest way imaginable. I had no exposure to these comics. I mean, that's not true. I did have a minor level of exposure of, like, you know, what people were talking about online and, you know, the out-of-context, uh, like, panels that people would put. And that's hysterical. It is. But to truly appreciate what became of the comics and what other writers like Ian Flynn would do with it moving forward, you really have to read these comics. It's it's true. Um I, I can I can also attest to this. You know, obviously growing up, um the only Sonic comics I would ever get would be uh you know around the time I was going to uh to, to Sleepaway Camp, right? I remember I was eight and I actually got uh one of the very first one of the issues we're going to be talking about next episode is my first Sonic the Hedgehog comic, and one of the ones that I started with, right? And it was just as Ian Flynn was beginning his run. And I think the thing that's, like, really apparent, at least for me, was that I never really experienced much of the Penders era in its entirety, ever. And obviously I had seen, you know, people shitting on Ken for years and all the fucking crazy stuff he he endlessly prattled on about... You know, we would laugh at him for all of his god-awful art and all the concepts and the this and the that and the out-of-context screenshots on Tumblr. And it just, in order to grapple and wrestle with the beast, you have to read it. It is so hard to fully understand how this comic went on in the state it did for a hundred-plus issues, side stories, and everything. Like, it's insane. But I I feel like that has been discussed ad nauseum. So, Speed, how are we going to handle this? So, let, let's just begin, you know, you know, from the beginning, why don't we? Initially, the Sonic the Hedgehog comics began as a four-issue miniseries in 1992. These were, I don't want to say test comics, but they were just sort of like, a, let's introduce this concept into the market and see what becomes of it. The original concept of the Sonic the Hedgehog comics was actually a little different from what the final, you know, full series became about. There were some very minor plot elements. There are some, like, alternate scenarios that were never shown in the, uh, in the main series. One thing that I remember from when I read it way back when, a year ago plus now, was there was this... This scepter that Sally had that she said was a family heirloom of the royal family that had like a something like a chaos emerald on top of it. And there was some mystical power that became of it. But obviously that was something that never was in the comics. And it's interesting because me describing that sounds like, you know, something Carl Bowlers would write now that I think about it. You know, a yeah. mystical scepter with a chaos emerald on top of it. It's got some powers on it. But even still... A lot of concepts that never really came to the full series, but it it laid a groundwork because we had Sonic, we had the Freedom Fighters. There was even a story, which was sort of like an alternate, uh, 
an alternate concept of how Sonic met the Freedom Fighters, which is Sonic was just kind of like living his life. He's just like a vagabond. And he meets Sally on the side of a dirt road. And Sally's like, I don't know who you are, but like, if you can help me, help me. A fucking despot just overthrew my kingdom. Help. And Sonic, after getting through like a little adventure and like showing his stuff to her, is like, all right, I'll join your team. Uh, where do I, where do we sign up? Obviously, that's not what the TV show went with, but still, it's an interesting original concept. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting because um, around this time, Sega was still trying to find the identity of Sonic, you know, in various markets. And, um, you know, the Japanese identity of Sonic was was always very set in stone, you know, cute blue mascot. But with America and the West, they really doubled down on the attitude because it's the 90s, you know, and Sonic was in a lot of ways the arbiter of that edge and that attitude, right? Right. You know, I think it's it's really interesting that um, out of everything, right, they, you know, they, they really wanted to go with, like, this weird, like, slapstick approach and very, like, corny and, like... I mean, this is Archie we're talking about. Archie has been a, a staple of American comics for God knows how long. So it made sense in context to try and design the series around that, you know? Right, and... After that, after these four-issue miniseries, which, by the way, were labeled zero to three in a very cute touch, uh, the people liked it. Sega went to Archie and said, all right, you got something good here. Uh, we're going to give you the license for it. Have fun. And so the license actually was based more on Sat AM, uh, more officially titled Sonic the Hedgehog, the Saturday morning cartoon. We, the fans, call it Sat AM just for simplicity's sake. You know, that's where all of these conference comics came from. So a lot of the world building in the early issues was grandfathered into these comics. So you kind of needed to have the base level understanding of the TV show to, like, really understand the comics and what they were going for. However, unfortunately, the first, like, good couple chunks, I'd say, like, up to issue 25, the comics were not anything special. They were basically just episodes of, like, Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog. Because one thing that was never really told was there were two simultaneous Sonic the Hedgehog cartoons running in the 90s. Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog and Sat AM. So you have to wonder, how did we get to that point? What was the reason for that? Why are there two shows that are set in two different continuities? What happened was is that Sega went to ABC, the company that produced the show and aired it and yada yada. Sega said, we want to have a, a typical 90s uh, character-driven TV show that's based on our cartoon, the concepts that we have for it. Here you go. The producers at ABC said, no, we want a cartoon for syndication. We want to have, you know, the 65-episode run that we can just air for years and years on end and these... These episodes don't really relate to each other. We we want that. So the compromise was the license for Sonic the Hedgehog ended up getting split in two. So they kind of got what they both wanted. You had Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog, the syndicated TV show, which would run like weekday mornings, like right before school, essentially. And then you'd have Sat AM, the Saturday morning cartoon, which was more character driven, a little darker in tone, and there was an underlying story along it. So that's the story of that. However, the comic was created when the licensing wasn't solidified. So at there was a certain point when 
we could have very well seen the Freedom Fighters inside AM because the tone of the early comics is very much like an Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog style of comics. They they really double down on this in a lot of ways. You know, it's constant jokes and back and forth and haha funny scenarios nonstop. You know, it it, it very much is Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog, right? Sad AM and that tone really isn't introduced until like. Speed said around issue 25. So it's definitely interesting because there is a timeline where the comic could have continued on the path of Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog, and it would have been a probably a much shorter comic, right? Oh, yeah. I, I doubt they would even get to issue 50. Oh, of course. But the the intent was clearly um, to have the... They're basically using the the comic as a brand extension. Because yes, there's nothing exactly. more to it. Exactly. Right. So on that note, these first couple issues were written by Mike Gallagher. There's not really much beyond what he writes other than what we just described. You know, there is a lot of differences from the games. It's more based in line with Sad AM in characters, AOSTH in tone. There are like minor references to the games, but they're very tongue-in-cheek. There's nothing deep about it. The most notable thing is that... The Chaos Emeralds were all green in color. Whereas, as we all know, multicolored Chaos Emeralds are what's prevalent in the canon. And, on top of that, the amount of Chaos Emeralds in this world are limitless. Yes. It seems like there are, like, over tens of thousands of Chaos Emeralds on Mobius alone. And, as we've learned through later on in the comics, that uh, other Chaos Emeralds of other colors exist in the universe as well. Why that they're there... We don't know 100% for sure. That's skipping ahead a little bit, but I'll say that the reason why there are so many Chaos Emeralds was because we learned in issue 25 with the Gene Bomb and the Zorda attack was because when the Gene Bomb dropped, it fucked with the environment so much that a lot of the Geo deposits kind of absorbed their energy and ended up becoming the Chaos Emeralds. That's just one thing that ended up being way into play way later on, but... Ken Penders, he joined the comics on issue 11 and was the one who introduced, like, the multiverse concept as well. His first issue was a story about Anti-Mobius, where Sonic uh, makes a wrong turn at the Cosmic Interstate, ends up on Anti-Mobius, and meets, like, Anti-Sonic. And they're, like, you know, they fight a little bit, they're having a race, they're literally, like, even match on account of fact they're the same person, but, you know... Little misunderstanding. Sonic meets uh, anti-robotnik Kintobor. And, you know, with his help, he manages to take down his bad self and comes back home all safe and sound. So Ken, at this time, was still subject to, like, the tongue-in-cheek sort of, like, fun Saturday morning cartoon vibe. But I will also say Ken Penders is the reason these comics changed tone. And I will say that was the best move that this comic could have had. You know, for all the shit that we give Ken, there is and there always has been a desire for a more involved Sonic story. And I think it's very clear by a lot of the fan discussion and a lot of the directions that Sega took as a company in the two, in the in the era of the 2000s that that was an intention for them, even if a lot of people were very confused by it, right? Mm-hmm. So Ken's decision to move to a more serialized and grittier story was one that was, in a lot of ways 
welcome. Because the Archie staff were clearly starting to feel like they were being limited by the slapstick nature of it, right? It's not like Archie, where you can throw them into a million different scenarios. This is a character, and they have a world, and they have, you know, places and things. Like, there's a clear desire to expand beyond that border. And, and that is ultimately what happened with this comic. For the right? better, 100%. For the better. For all the shit that we give on Ken for having, like, the stupid, you know, concepts, which are pretty fair, this change of, like, moving it into a more serious tone is 100% welcome. I do not think this was a mistake at all. Ken Penders did the right thing. Yes. And even though that, like, you can maybe extrapolate and make the argument that, like, oh, this was, like, a narcissistic move on his part because he wanted to tell the story, hey, fair enough. But at the end of the day, it was a necessary thing to keep the comic going in the long term. Not only that, though, Ken Penders, when he first started, actually had a writing partner work with him. Mike Kentarevic was his name, and he doesn't have much credits beyond the work for these comics. And looking back at, like, the older stuff that he wrote with Mike Kentarevic, there were still some, like, you know, some, like, funny moments there. Like, a, like you could tell the Ken Penders-isms were starting to, like, be planted. However... Having Mike Kentarevic around really grounded him. This is a very, like, very, like, cliche comparison. But Ken Penders is very much like a George Lucas, Shigeru Miyamoto type of creator. I was gonna say Miyamoto! I was gonna say Miyamoto, dude! Listen, listen, okay? It's true. There are some people who are creatives who need sometimes to be told to shut the fuck up and let the process happen, Right? Ken Panders, George Lucas, and uh, Shigeru Miyamoto are all three of those people who need to be told, shut the fuck up, you're on your leash, you're important, but you have to realize that the project as a whole and what people want is more important than what you want. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I haven't read uh, any of the stuff that Ken did with uh, Mike. I mean, I probably have when I was much younger, right? And reading, like, the back issues and stuff like that. But honestly... It was probably for the best that he had someone to keep him on a leash. And then and then he didn't. Mm. And then he didn't. Yeah, I don't know what happened to, to Mike. I don't know why he up and left. Maybe he just decided, like, you know what? I, I can't do this forever. This guy is taking years off my life. I need to go. I just need to go. And then we live in the world we live now, so that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, that's what happened. You know, the alt-timeline where Ken Penders... Uh, is is kept chained by uh by by Mike Kentarevich and he actually produces like a pretty solid story. Wow. Who would have thought so? Who who would have thunk? So on that note, the most notable thing about Ken Penders' work was the side series that he produced for Knuckles the Echidna. So originally it started out as like a mini series, two mini series actually, before full serialization. So the full series was at first was like the Knuckles miniseries that he and I believe Mike Kentarevic wrote, co-wrote with him, co-wrote with him. And then there was a second miniseries called, I think, like the Dark Legion or something like that, that introduced the Dark Legion. And then I guess it became like pretty well liked enough for we like, OK, like let's like retroactively make these like Knuckles one, two and three. You got a full series now. So. What ha- The reason why that this happened, the reason why Ken Penders is infamously so 
protective about the echidna characters let's put it not because he has like any deep connection to it despite what i'm gonna say about one character later on yes disregard that for now but the reason why ken penders likes these characters so much is literally because he had full creative control effectively the sonic uh stories it i believe we've said this on the show already but the Sonic stories had, like, pretty decent level of scrutiny from Sega. Even if Sega was, like, pretty hands-off with this comic, at the end of the day, they would still need approval. It's a licensed comic. They need to have approval from the licensors to do the stories that they want to do. I also think it's very important to talk about um, Ken Penders' comic concept that was rejected unanimously by a lot of different people. So, for those of you who don't know, Ken Penders actually wanted to do a comic about... Um, ancient Indians and uh, long bloodlines and ancestry that was rejected by a lot of different uh, comic companies due to, well, uh, Ken's grand vision, let's just say. Hey, you know what? Like, I'm going to stick up for my boy Ken. You know what, Ken? You're 100% correct. You, They don't understand shit. You clearly... Clearly, you're just, your vision just scared them. That's it. Yes. They saw your script and they're like, whoa, whoa. We just can't fucking do this. And, and this is a big reason why the Knuckles shit is so absurd. Because Ken reworked most, if not all, of his concepts for this Native American, Indian, ancestry, space, ghost, whatever the fuck it is, into the Knuckles comics. And it's baffling, to say the least. Obviously, because Sega gave no true oversight of the Knuckles works, Ken was free to do whatever the fuck he wanted. Yeah. Right? And we also need to understand something. So the reason why there was basically, like, no, like, quality control in terms of the Knuckles comics, number one, you need to think about the context of the time, right? Sonic 3 and Knuckles basically just came out. The Sonic community and a lot of people really like this Knuckles character. I'll even go so far as to say that Knuckles was the Shadow the Hedgehog of the classic era. He was. So he. there was a lot of people who wanted just more Knuckles content. So Sega took the opportunity to create like a Knuckles license and said, Ken, have fun. Just make Knuckles content. The people want Knuckles. Go make Knuckles content. And in doing so, in doing so, they made the greatest mistake of their entire lives. Yeah, can't can't agree more yeah, because they yeah. they just they, they opened a bottle that they'll never be able to put back even to this day they can't put it back yeah it's it's a it's a pretty pretty insane situation that just by giving ken any form of creative control over these comics it made him entitled that was the problem it made him entitled yes yes this is it this is a core, it, this is, alright, so the entitlement, this is, this is one part of the whole saga, so make sure you're taking notes, okay? The entitlement, this is, because Ken was allowed to run so free with all of this shit, and he got to rework his comic concept through Knuckles, he felt like he was this sort of father to the character, and the world, and he was doing a service by giving us the content that the people in the 90s wanted, which gave him the complex that we all know of him today. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> On the Knuckles comics themselves, they lasted a whopping 32 issues, which, I mean, 
that's like two and a half years worth or like two years solid of comics so that's not a bad run per se especially in an industry where like comics tend to get canceled like within 10 issues yes he he had a solid run he really did one thing that I also wanted to point out was that Ken Penders claimed that the Knuckles comics regularly outsold the main series. Now, is that possible? Yes. That definitely could have happened. However, numbers. Where are the numbers? Because you can't make a claim like where, that. Where are the numbers, Kenneth? Because, where see, that's the, the thing. And despite uh, Ken's claim as to them being regularly outside the main series, uh, the Knuckles comics did get canceled due to low sales. You know, it happens. It happens. However, Ken Penders decided, no, it's not ending like this. So he reworked the, some scripts that he had for future issues and essentially made them the backup story to the Sonic the Hedgehog comics, starting from, like, issue 70-ish? I don't remember 100%, yeah. but, like... We we covered it, though. I'm pretty sure we covered the moment where the Knuckles... Because we, we, we covered the final Knuckles comic, and then we talked about it, and we were like, yeah, now all this shit gets brought over to the main comic, so I hope you're ready for that. I'm cutting it in. Power of editing. As we mentioned previously... This is the final issue of Knuckles the Echidna. Future me editing this, put in some sad violin music. You know the one. Pepe says, Sag crying. I, I, I mean. Yeah. Um, so the fact that Penders ends his entire series on a, a literal explosion where SBO kills two people is like. Kind of boss. Kind of based. Kind of based. Kind of based. Kind of based. But it's, like, perfectly in line with, like, his writing style, so, you know. Just... Yeah. I mean, you know what? Like, classic Penders. Doing things that you would not expect a Sonic character to do, but somehow got approved anyway. Because Sega literally did not care. That's not an exaggeration. They literally did not care. Yep. All right. So, now that Ken Penders is done, as I spoke about at the beginning of this episode, the convergence has happened. Um, this essentially means that from now on, the Ken Penders material is now stuffed into the Sonic comic. So, we were talking about this in the two episodes that we did, where, like, in my opinion, the Sonic comic was of, like, an okay quality. Right? Mm -hmm. It's, like, fine. It's, it's not amazing, not horrible, but it's, it's fine. okay. It's good. That's yeah, fine. For what it is. It is at this point where things start to take a turn for the worse. A significant turn of the worse. Ken Penders doesn't leave until... 159. 159. We've got... We've got a very significant amount of... Like, what's this next issue? Hold on. Wait. The next... Okay. The next actual Sonic comic is number 79. So that's like, what? A good 80-ish episode? Or episodes. A good 80-ish issues? So you have 80 issues of Ken Penders. Look at me, right on the money. We did it, boys. Let's go. And it's really only until, like, 165, 170, where it feels like the story is actually recollecting itself again. So, now with that context under our belt, one thing that I also stressed out before. Sega did not care about these comics. None whatsoever. The only scrutiny they had were stories about Sonic and, like, directly involving Sonic. Anything else is like, yeah, go nuts. This is just 
an extension of our brand. This is like brand extension for us. Like we don't really like so long as it has Sonic the Hedgehog on it. We believe that's good for the brand. Now, keep in mind, that was a very common attitude for, you know, media companies to have at the time. Unfortunately, as we all come to know, uh, just having your brand on something does not make it good. Later on, you could make the argument that these comics, like, did was probably part of why the brand became a little bit more infamous around... uh, 2006 you know you know <laughs> yeah you know i i wonder i wonder what happened that year you know i really yeah. do i wonder it was, it was just part it was part of the problem okay right it right. was just part of the problem the only time i have in my notes the only time sega ever actually intervened was in endgame the the saga where they defeated dr robotnik like 100 and you're not going to believe how this turned out so what happened was that Sega stopped Ken Penders when he killed off Sally. Right. So that's, for some reason, they claimed that they had branding uh, intentions for this character, which was very bizarre. Because at issue 50, the TV show had already been canceled. So these characters, as far as Sega's concerned, like they don't need to exist. So I don't know what they were going for, but... Regardless, that's the reason Sega forced his hand and brought Sally back to life 100%. Like, this never happened effectively. Well, did Saturday M end before Endgame or... No, it ended before Endgame. Okay, because the the ending of Saturday M is most... It's it's somewhat... I mean, I haven't seen all of Saturday M. I've seen an episode or two. But I know that the ending involves Sally coming back to life, right? I don't remember. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. But I know that the ending between Endgame and 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 Sadam are very similar. So obviously, branding rights is one thing for the character, but I also feel that maybe they wanted to have a parody since the comics were sort of in a you know similar-ish situation with the use of the characters and the yeah. general synopsis. And, but but that's 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 just one thing, right? Right. But what's very funny is the reasoning behind Ken killing off Sally in that classic Ken fashion, he said, quote, she cramped Sonic style. Now, folks, if you're confused at that reason, that's the correct emotion. I, too, am confused. What the fuck do you mean? You think that's reason enough to kill off a fucking character? Are you insane? Listen, man, Ken Penders... He just wasn't a fan of the hedgehog style. That was a that was a Jimmy Neutron reference. I was about to say, get, get you got to get a board that'll handle the Neutron, the neutron style. Neutron style. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, good. God. Okay, but yeah, I mean, basically, that's sort of the the background, at least some of the background, but. Of course, we would not be able to talk about Ken Penders without talking about parent-child relationships. Right. Most importantly, two relationships in particular. The relationship between Locke and Knuckles, and also to a lesser extent, Max and Sally. This came out, like, in very weird ways, so take this information how you will, but it is important to note. So, supposedly, Ken Penders himself had a bit of a complicated relationship with his own father. They did ne- never saw eye to eye, essentially. 
For what reasons, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate. However, I can say that they reconciled shortly before his dad passed away. And I know that can leave a person with a lot of complicated emotions. 100%. The writing... Writing Locke and Knuckles specifically, Locke as a parent to me just seems like outwardly manipulative towards Knuckles. What I'm kind of getting away from it is as that Ken believes through writing Locke that a father, despite even if they are like objectively a bad person, and I don't think Ken Penders would even say that like, I did not intend to write Locke as a bad person. Okay, fine. I interpret Locke as... A difficult father figure, while he does extremely questionable things to his own child, at the end of the day, fathers like this still love their children. So in other words, the ends justify the means. So, a little personal. Going to get a little personal here. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a very, very, very uh, complicated relationship with my personal father, my biological father. We do not speak. But... You know, for once, I will try and take Ken's side. I understand the feeling of writing a parent that you feel may have been absent or absent-minded or very, very hard, very difficult, and and almost and, and in a lot of ways abusive, manipulative. The whole the whole nine yards, mm-hmm, right? Right. You know, and, and and I can understand how dealing with that father's death may have affected the way that Ken wrote Locke. Right. Right. But on the other hand, I feel like the problem is that Locke as a character, there is always an attempt to justify the means, but we get so many instances where it's just beyond the point of Locke is a shithead, but he's trying to do the right thing for Knuckles into Locke is just a fucking horrible human being who literally fucked up everything. Yeah. Right? It's a delicate line. It really is. And it's difficult to write characters like that. It's just, in my opinion, Ken, I don't think you you did a good job here. I don't... If your intention was to write, like, a character that is, like, difficult around the edges and has, like... Is a very not great parent, but at the end of the day, you can look at this this parent character and say... They clearly love their child and want the best for them. In my opinion, mission failed. I did not see that. I I think this also extends, um, you know, I I don't think you you put notes down for it, but uh, if I can talk a little about uh, Sally and Max. Mm -hmm. Uh, The problem with Sally and Max's relationship is that it's misogynistic as fuck. Right. And the fact that Max keeps imposing his will on Sally, even though Sally just wants to live her fucking life, but Max has to be a literal boomer prick and tell her, no, you have to be a princess because I say so. And that isn't an ends justify the means scenario from that perspective. Right. Right. I-, I will say specifically in the relationship between Max and Sally, I can like stand for the fact that like this character is supposed to be like a chauvinist who is very much like, you know, traditional gender roles. We have our ways and we have to stay set in them. Right. If that's what Ken was going for, okay, fine. However, those kinds of characters are not likable, especially not today. Maybe in like maybe in the 90s, like this sort of character was like seen in a better light, still incorrectly by the way, but 
Regardless, in today's era, we see characters like Max, who's incredibly chauvinist, very traditionalist, very conservative, and just says, like, yeah, we don't resonate with characters like this. This character is 100% in the wrong to what they're doing to their child. Yeah. It, it also goes a step further because I understand that Ken wants to try and convey the idea that, like, Max wants Sally to be like this because he needs her to understand that they need to rule the people and actually try and, you know, control the situation because they're technically living in a war-torn world and they need strong leaders. Yes. But there's a way of doing it that isn't, you woman, find king, fuck, make children, right? Which is, like, the problem. The relationship between them is so one-dimensional on so many levels, it never feels like there's any complexity to it, right? Which... Yeah. Fuck, the, the Lock Knuckles relationship is also very bad, but there is an attempt at complexity. There is an attempt at complexity. It doesn't work, but there's an attempt. With Sally and Max, there is no level of complexity at all. It's very, like, you you read it, and you can, like, take this away from the fact, like, yeah, King Max is 100% in the, in the wrong. Arguably, this should have been, like, a villain character. Like, I feel like King Max... Like, Kate, you know what? No, I'm taking that back because I don't think King Max should have been a villain character. Let me clarify. The actions that are going on do are, are very antagonistic. King Max is antagonizing Sally just for the simple fucking crime of just, like, she wants to live her life and be, like, you know, just do her own thing and run her kingdom the, her own way. I can understand Max not wanting to do that. I... He, wa he has a very strict mindset of what rulership is and what being a leader is. And that's fine. But the way he goes about it is extremely forceful and just doesn't even hear Sally out on, like, on like what she wants or what her opinions are. It's like you said, Aaron. It's like, shut the fuck up, woman. You get in the fucking, uh, get in the fucking primordial ooze. You gotta be omniscient to lead this fucking kingdom. Yeah, pretty much. If there if there's something you know we can end this little section off on, uh, please put up a smug Max uh, up on the green screen for us. You know you see it. There's smug Max. Uh, you remember him from uh, from one of the one of the sessions we did. He he's sitting there with that smug ass face, which is unnecessary. Uh, it's the wrong expression. Which like the art is a completely different like topic altogether. The, yeah, we're, art, we'll get into it, but. Yeah. But but, but but we're, thing. yeah but 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 smug max is 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 still pretty funny it I, really I is it. it's the wrong yes. emotion for the situation but it's great it's i great. love it okay so now that we've kind of covered ken wait there's more to this what okay actually there is more to this because carl bowlers is a very integral part of the ken pander saga mm-hmm and you may also be wondering, like, you know, is it really fair to even call this, like, the Ken Pender saga or the Ken Pender's era? Yes. A hundred percent. Because this era was defined by him. A lot of the nonsense and ridiculousness and behind-the-scenes drama came from Ken. He owns it. This is... He, want, he wants it to be on him so bad. It's on you, Ken. This is your era. This is all you. Saying that, though, it is also important to note that Carl Bowlers, um, despite having, you know, in, in my opinion, some very interesting ideas, 
he does kind of get into that sort of what the fuck are you thinking territory. You know, you know what it is? It's just the comic book writer mentality. You kind of you're working with very limited page work to begin with. Even if they do have like a a large story, a large arc that they want to play out, you kind of like have to throw it in spades, you know? Carl Bowlers to introduce him. He would join the creative team after Endgame and as Ken Penders was, you know, busy doing his important grand vision in the Knuckles comics, you have Carl Bowlers who's just like an industry veteran, he wrote for DC in the past, and he comes in with a very, like, kind of like a grim, dark writer mentality of, like, very action-oriented comics that have, like, a little serious tone to them. So that's the tone that he brings into the Sonic stories. Which, as a side note, can work. But I feel like one of the big problems with Bowler's writing is that it's not suited for what Sonic is. I think... Bowlers clearly had good intentions, and he clearly wanted to create something that was more distinct and unique um, in the world of Sonic, but it just wasn't the right fit. Mm. Which is a shame, because I can tell he tried. He really did. That is, the, that is something that cannot be overstated. He cared. He really did. It wasn't the right fit, but he really tried. Yeah, and you know what? I'll, I'll say this, like, what, something we didn't touch upon about Ken Penders, we'll talk about it a little bit more later. Ken Penders did not have, like, a fundamental understanding of, like, a lot of Sonic the Hedgehog as a franchise, but Carl Bowler's, like, tried to learn. He did sprinkle in, like, references to the games every now and again. In the, in the beloved Return to Angel Island arc, he, like, wrote Knuckles as having, like, some of the power-ups in from Sonic Adventure 2, like the fucking, the shovel claws, the, uh, the air necklace. Like, that shows to me that he's trying to learn a little bit more about the franchise he's working on and just, like, you know, integrate a little, even if it's just fan service. Just the fact that he brought that in shows that he's trying and that he wants to present something good for the fans. Right, which is obviously something that is respectable, right? It's clear that he tried to create works that, you know, maybe were different and a little bit too dark in tone for Sonic necessarily, but he wanted to come up with ideas and concepts that felt fresh and unique, you know? So I have respect for him in that regard. Um, but obviously, Carl Bowler's as a writer is some of his stuff that's irrelevant the reason why he's so integral to this saga is because him and penders butt heads like mad the two of them never saw eye to eye on what they wanted for the series which worked for the most part because they were basically writing two separate stories right but right. there would be times where the two of them would cross over the biggest example being when Bowlers would end up stepping on Penner's toes with the Chaos Knuckles storyline, which was a good decision, by the way, because the Chaos Knuckles storyline was stupid. Uh. But, but we digress. It's clear that there was always tension between the two of them and what they wanted for the series. It became so contentious and so awful that, as we've mentioned before, Bowlers doesn't like to talk about it. Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit more later on, but Carl Bowlers does not have very fond memories of working on this comic, which is very unfortunate because yeah. at the end of his run, he really showed that he cared. Yeah, exactly. I mean, 
Return to Angel Island. You know, so let's let's actually let's 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 talk for a second, right? About Return to Angel Island, right? That was Bowler's last arc. It focused on Knuckles and the Echidnas, and it was the last thing he really did before he stepped away from the series, right? Art obviously done by our boy John Gray. John, we love you. We, we I know you couldn't reach out to us. It's okay. We, we respect you regardless. You're a beautiful man. It was pretty subversive for the expressions and sense of style, right? As we both have felt very strongly about. Obviously, you can watch the episode for more information, but Bowlers used the story as sort of a way to, as we had mentioned, shop at that fucking Pender's tree and bring it all the way down, undermining the exact direction that Ken Penders was trying to take the story in, right? Bowler's eventually getting the comic to a position before Penders even got to fucking explain it that Mobius is a post-apocalyptic Earth, whereas Penders originally envisioned that Mobius was going to be an alien planet. So the budding heads just went beyond arguments. It was also seen literally within the comic as the two tried to continually one-up each other on who got to say what first. And most of the time, it would have it, it is Carl Bowler's like beating Ken Penders to the punch. That's literally it. And speaking of Carl Bowler's, after he left the series, he had a lot of unused concepts that he said would have stretched all the way to issue 150. So I've compiled some of them. Let's... Let's see what was going on in the mind of Carl Bowlers before he stepped away. I think something to mention here is that obviously all of this is from word of mouth. We don't have full written documents. I imagine some exist. But remember, all this is proof of concept, ideas that Bowlers had. Not all of it was implemented. Right. So Cutting room floor type shit. Cutting room floor. But I still think it's important to talk about to sort of understand where they wanted the story to go to. And I do think there's something interesting here. So to begin, the Freedom Fighters as a team moving on would have mainly been just comprised of Sonic, Tails, Amy, Bunny, and Fiona. Sally would have stepped away for personal reasons, his words. Fiona and Amy would have like a kind of rivalry between two of them for Sonic's affections. And actually, we would have seen Amy's origins be explored in a deeper adaption of Sonic CD. Which, if you remember, issue 25 was an adaption of Sonic CD. But it was a very, like, loose adaption. Which really was just uh, a Robotnik finding an alternate zone that was comprised of some of the stages from Sonic CD. And you had, like, a Metal Sonic race in uh, Stardust Speedway. But it has to be mentioned, right? That crossover is worth it alone for the art by Spaz. Of course. Oh my god. Of Excellent course. work. Excellent work. Excellent work. I have nothing but good things to say about Patrick Spazatine's art. Honestly, read issue 25. Just because the art alone is fantastic. And in fact, it like, is. it was actually like the original subversion because the art in those early issues were very like kind of flat it was like 2d on 2d not a lot of action going on so uh patrick spazatine comes in and creates these like dynamic shots and you see like a lot of like you feel pumped up just looking at it and it was just fantastic but it was it was the right energy for the comic which is you know great but but regardless let's get back on track so tails would still have his feelings for fiona which we've talked about as silly as they are. However, Carl Bowler's intentions was that 
he would put those feelings aside and he wanted to spec out the tornado for space travel to find his parents on Argentium, which he knew were there. Sonic told them he gave them that little gift when he was doing his little space hopping adventure. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Because to have like a major character kind of just fuck off from the main story and have his own like arc. I think it could have worked in the comic book. It's done that before. If this was like the focus of like another Tales miniseries, I would have been on board. Agreed. Tails is a character who has, in recent years, unfortunately been subjected to the uh, Sega destruction of character uh, of character traits, and obviously one of the big plot lines of the early 2000s that was constantly retread over and over again with Tails was independence and self-worth. Tails and Sonic are the inseparable duo, but the problem is that Tails on his own struggled to feel like he was worth something without Sonic. Adventure 1 covers this, Adventure 2 covers it, they're retreads of each other, Adventure 1 does it much better. But, having this, having a major character moment for Tails be his desire to be like, look, you need to respect my decision to go find my parents, because I need to be able to be my own person as much as I am your best friend. Which is a good arc for him, and having him explore those thoughts and feelings and working towards building a better self-image, and eventually finding his parents, having the reunion, and then, most importantly, feeling the self-worth that he deserves. It could have been really good if done properly. Brings a tear to my eye, man. It, it, I don't know, I feel like we lost something special with that one, but moving on, Rotor would have retired officially from field duty, and... It's written that he would have played more of like a Q from James Bond's type of role where he would have just be like, you know, an advisor to them saying, all right, guys, you know, I'm administrating you guys from now on. Here's like all of the information that I've got for you. Let's see what we can do. I'm not a big fan of this, though, because, you know, look, I know Rotor isn't necessarily the most like combat oriented freedom fighter in these comics. But I do appreciate, like, all of the tech support work that he does in the comic, even if, like, you know, the writing and all the characterization is fucked up beyond belief. It's still really interesting that um, they went that direction with him and, and really tried to, like... They didn't make him so much of, like, administrative, but they made him more of, like... Uh, like, like a backup, like, basically. Yeah, like like backup support, which is good, which is how which is how you do a character like that, like, meaningfully, you know? Right. Now, this one's going to be a little bit more of, like, a little, like, what what the fuck was going on here? <laughs> yeah, I, I had to read it a couple times to be like, uh, am I reading this right? <laughs> so, so, Adam, Eggman's, like, computer virus, effectively, and Nicole, Sally's, you know, handheld PDA, their AIs would have gained romantic feelings for each other. <laughs> <laughs> but, how... <laughs> Leading Adam to defect to the Freedom Fighters and bringing along Eggman's Shadowbot army. Which, number one... <laughs> number one, what the hell? <laughs> bro, they're... Bro, bro, they're... Bro, it's like, the, it's, it's like Futurama, man. They're robosexual. They just want to fuck. <laughs> I don't know how that would work, but I don't even want to think about it. However, yeah, let's not think about it. However, Adam defecting to the Freedom Fighters. Very interesting. Yeah, I definitely. I would have liked to have seen that. I... I I feel like the twist could have been really interesting. Um, I don't know, but it, like 
Here's the thing. How do you introduce something like that? How does that happen? Listen, man, I don't know. I'm not even going to fucking question it. Yeah, well, all right, fine. Fine, fine. So moving on. Uh, Eggman. Eggman would have seen rivalries beyond Sonic and Shadow. One of which being what's called a 15-foot robot named Skarkus, okay? Oh, However, okay. the twist... W- the twist is that that was just Snively in disguise, who wanted revenge on Eggman for leaving him for dead during the Zorda invasion, and Snively would have teamed up with Shadow, and there would have been a story where Eggman kidnaps Hope from Knothole, saying that, I am the rightful guardian of this girl, she is my niece, but ultimately just wants to use her as bait to lure in Shadow. Right. For what? I don't know. Who's to say? Uh, that would have been an interesting shakeup. But a 15-foot robot named Skarkus, uh, that's a little much. But, you yeah. know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess. Moving on. So, we mentioned previously that these comics were originally... Had, like, more Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog in tone. Well, if we remember from those early comics, some characters from Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog were prevalent. Namely, Scratch, Grounder, and Coconuts. And this next arc pertains specifically with coconuts he would have found an amnesiac deroboticized nate morgan which we haven't touched a lot on the overlander characters but i think i should bring this up so nate morgan back in the day when this was being written nate morgan was kind of accused of being a self-insert character for carl bowlers probably just because they were both black but that's beside the point right Okay. But the the irony is that Carl Bowlers would go on to say that, like, Nate Morgan actually was one of his least favorite characters. Not because he, like, actively disliked the character, but because he felt like he didn't use him to his fullest potential. And that's just a regret that he had. So I think this thing of reintroducing Nate Morgan would have been, like, a chance of redemption for Carl Bowlers as a writer. But with that being said... Coconuts would have manipulated Nate Morgan, who still had his, like, genius intellect, to build not just a new Metal Sonic, but also a Tails doll, a Metal Knuckles, a Metal Amy, to invade Knothole. And at one point, Metal Sonic would have gained enough power to transform into Metal Overlord, which, dope as fuck, I would have killed to see that. Yeah, I actually really like this concept, mainly because, like, okay... So, obviously, the first thing that makes me drawn to it is the fact that they're using Coconuts, who is, without a doubt, one of the iconic characters from Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog and the early parts of this comic. So, what better way to bring him back and make him a major villain by having him manipulate somebody, which was something that he was off to do, the little fucking scamp, like Nate Morgan, and use him against the Freedom Fighters, and basically create a Metal Madness arc, right? Which, like, again, I would have killed for that! Yeah, I would have too, that's awesome, that's a really, really cool and creative idea. More importantly, we're getting metal versions of the other characters, and of course, the Tails doll. Everybody's favorite creepypasta. Uh, Which, I mean, hey, again, this just also goes to show that, like, Carl Bowlers was doing his research, and he wanted to, like, you know, give a little bit of fan service. Like I said, you can clearly tell when the man, uh, when the man cares. It's, It's very obvious, and this is one of those instances. And I respect that greatly. So, 
to move on a little bit from there. So let's think back a little bit. Remember the uh, the the little uh, twin swap episode with Antoine and Patch? Yes. So Carl Bowler's uh, intention was a little different. Sally would have become a pawn to a malevolent source of all. So if you need a refresher, it, we alluded to it a little early on as a joke, but to give it the full context... The source of all was basically the Acorn family's justification as to why they should continue to be rulers. So, to give a history lesson, the Kingdom of Acorn was established as the first multicultural society on Mobius. You had all of these different, you know, Mobian creatures who came together to create a uniform society. And Sally's ancestor, I believe his name was Alexander, was like the mm-hmm. first, uh, was the leader of this movement. And Mobotropolis was fully built up. It became a nice, habitable city that was basically self-sustaining. So the people decided, you know what? This this guy, Alexander, did a fantastic job leading us to this point. Let's make him our king. And that's what happened. And so some multiple generations passed. History became lost and it faded from recent memory. So now you have a royal family who is like, Basically, like, they are in the position completely unearned. It's all, like, nepotism and shit like that, yada yada, ruler talk. But now, you have, at some point, the Acorn family found this this thing called the Source of All, which, when submerged, would basically give Amobian omnipotence. They are capable of, like, not just future sight, but capable of also seeing, like, the multiple, like potential futures as well it seems but it seems like there's a one-track path to it maybe that's just a limitation of a mobian but whatever they can see the future however that is the justification for why the acorn family rules today we've had that talk with king max trying to like get in the fucking gold liquid that's how you rule a kingdom shut the fuck up but that that's the deal that's the source of all however after the destruction of uh mobotropolis after eggman like took the city back there was a story where, like, Sonic and Tails tricked nukes into falling into the city, which would have just killed uh, Eggman one body, but he was able to, like, transfer to another body, yada yada. However, there was a bunch of nuclear fallout, and the city itself was destroyed, presumably along with the source of all. However, Carl Bowler's intended to reintroduce the story as having the source of all basically be like a Lovecraftian outer god. <laughs> Which, I, you know, I mean, I actually like the idea, right, where it's, so basically, like, the, the concept is essentially, now that the source of all has essentially become, like, uh, corrupted via nukes and nuclear poisoning and essentially has, you know, become an old god, Sally would have been manipulated as a pawn, and Antoine, his, uh, his incel fits... Uh, actually would have been uh, a result of him just going insane, from succumbing to the source's will. Uh, he basically wanted to marry Sally without any given reason. And as a result, it would have caused uh, the source of all to gain more power, uh, influence more people, and bring about the destruction of the planet, assumedly, right? Specifically, its intention was basically to prevent the future that was seen in a certain comic called Sonic in Your Face. So that was like the first, I think, spin-off or like one-shot comic. But in that story, that story basically introduced Nicole as being from like an from the future. That the future freedom fighters, you know, they're 
basically think of it as a similar concept to Mobius 25 years later. In fact, that's kind of where the basis of it began was in that special. It's Mobius 25 years later, but actually good. Specifically, though, it was actually specifically 20 years later, which is, hey, you know, Ken Penders. Ken Penders lay in the seeds so early on. Uh, I want to die. Anyways, it just wanted to prevent the future that was seen in that arc. So, why? Who knows? Who's to say? But that's that was an intention. And also, to note, because Antoine and Bunny broke up, Carl Bowlers wanted to use this opportunity to have a Bunny origin story. Because there actually never was a proper introduction to this character. She He also would have revealed her her real name, Scarlett O'Hare. Which, Didn't that become canon? Good uh, good foresight. Yes, it does become canon way later on. But we'll get yes, to that. Yes, we'll much get... much later on, but we'll yeah, get, we'll that get... does eventually Yeah, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. We'll get there. Yeah. Moving on to the burning hatred of Ken Penders, Cara Bowler's working with the Echidna characters. Oh boy. Okay. Let me let me handle this one. I got you. Mm. All right. I don't know why Carbolas did this, but you know, here he is. Uh, so Laura Lee and uh, everyone's favorite dad, Locke, uh, set aside their differences to raise a uh, Nikapone Mace. I think it's uh, Nicapion. A- Nicapion, sorry, Nicapion Mace. After Wind was left in the egg grapes in the Return to Angel Island storyline. So obviously Knuckles would have left Angel Island due to him realizing this presence on the island exposes the location of the Master Emerald and goes on a world tour to learn martial arts? Okay, weird reasoning, but fine. Including a story where we return to have him fight Monkey Khan under the control of none other than the Iron Queen and discover a gem called the Master Geode, contested by him, Dr. Eggman, the Iron Queen, and of course, Rouge. Now, it is interesting that Bullers has another idea for the Iron Queen, as the character was only used sparingly, once. sparingly, very sparingly. But uh, it's funny that he has this idea about the Iron Queen because because um, a certain someone basically has the same idea. Oh yes, oh yes, and it's quite the arc. <laughs> it is, and it's honestly kind of funny. That's a very interesting coincidence. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy how the uh, how how the, the the cards lay out on the table later on. But obviously, you know, we'll get to it when we get to it. <laughs> and so uh, to finish off, uh, there would have also been like another Dingo regime leader. <laughs> the the Nazi Dingoes are back. The Dingo Nazis. Why? Why does he want to deal with the Dingo Nazis? You know what? I think maybe it's just to continue rubbing salt in the wound on Ken. I would have done the same fucking thing. I would have. I, I'm pr- I'm I have a high enough head puff out chest to say that. Yes, I too would have fucked with Ken Penders, Carl Bowlers. But God, yes, so another Dingo regime leader by the name of Colonel Mange, revealing him along with Crockbot, Jack Rabbit, and Gollum Nah. They would have all become part of the Eggman Empire as sub-bosses over Down Under, the Great Desert, and Albion. Which also would have had some storylines leading to the disappearance of the Down Under Freedom Fighters and a confrontation with the Mersean Freedom Fighters. Now, we need I want to like think about this for a second. So 
having some of these characters be part of the Eggman Empire is interesting. Crockbot was already part of it, so we can skip him. Jack Rabbit. So I don't think you were there for that story, Aaron. So I'm going to give you like a synopsis. During the world tour arc, Sonic and Tails went to the Great Desert and basically found like a group of like wannabe heroes that rose up and fought back against the uh, the local Eggman subboss. And that was Jack Rabbit and his Freedom Fighters, which he called the Sandblasters. They basically kept Sonic and Tails effectively as prisoners in their city because they just like revered them so much as the ones who like defeated robotnik effectively no we read this we read this we read did this we? together remember yeah we did i feel like i've read this i mean you probably have yeah i probably i i probably read this on the off time but yeah i remember this story yeah so let me finish though so the story ended with like sonic basically condemning them to like the robian threat and as a result like Jack Rabbit is like fucking pissed because his people is now basically left to rot while Sonic and Tails like escape to like continue their mission. Him becoming part of the Eggman Empire solely to revenge to be working in revenge to Sonic. That's kind of weird. I think weird, but I think it can work. It's interesting. It can work. It's still like a little strange to me, even though that funnily enough, like with the Iron Queen, that is something that does come up in a future issues so yes and galana uh becoming part of uh if you can remember galana was like the uh the leader of albion uh the like echidna homeland so i don't know what reason she would have to join the eggman empire only the only reason i could think of is that she sees knuckles with his like dormant chaos energy him having comparable energy uh, power to Enerjack is such a threat she thinks it's like it's better to just side with this guy and use his resources to like nullify this like potential threat in knuckles basically basically she goes insane she's like we got to kill the next incarnation of Enerjack, kek w which i mean like that's also very interesting foreshadowing yeah, very interesting foreshadowing you know um but yeah i mean at the end of the day this is sort of the ideas that we have from bowlers Unfortunately, I don't think he'll ever really talk about any more of them because a lot of his stories were left dangling by a thread due to his abrupt quitting of working on the comic because, frankly, he found the work environment to be incredibly toxic due to Penders, right? And like we've mentioned, he has a very, very, very bad taste in his mouth with the franchise as a result, which is unfortunate because the guy clearly cared. Wasn't always the right thing, but he cared. He, and that means a lot more than you would than 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 somebody who who is doing it for their own self like self-elation, you know? Yeah, it's it's a shame because I think that Carl Bowler's had something special going on here. Like I mentioned previously, he was trying his best to learn about the franchise as a whole and putting in all these like little moments of fan service as well that you know, we weren't going to fucking get from Ken Penders. So like I don't know. It's just a shame. I've mentioned it before. I think it was the Return to Angel Island episode because, like, it would be really nice to see Cara Bowler's, like, do a story in, like, the IDW annual. Like, just one story. A very quick one. Just to see him, like, come back and, like, work in an environment that is, like, more, like, way more positive. It is. Exactly. The difference in quality between, like, here as Archie Sonic is to where IDW Sonic is today, literally night and day. I really think if like horror bowlers gave it a shot, I think he would like the, the work environment. He would. 
it is what it is. I do not blame Carl Bowlers for having the feelings that he does none whatsoever. He is, in my opinion, perfectly reasonable to have that sort of you know end result. And all I can say is it's a shame. It's it's unfortunate. I feel bad for the guy. Um, I wish him all the best. And yeah, yeah. So now that we so now that we're done talking about somebody who cared, let's talk about somebody who didn't give a flying fuck. <laughs> So, of course, All right. you know him. He's in the title. You know him. Our man, Ken Penders. So, the first note that I have here, the first <laughs> very important note, in my opinion, Ken Penders, on a fundamental level, did not understand the point of these characters, okay? So, I mentioned previously, but Ken Penders did not play the games of Sonic the Hedgehog. I don't even... Maybe he watched, like, a little bit of the cartoon, so he had, like, a baseline understanding of, like, the world he's writing for, but he didn't play any of the games. So, as a result, Ken Penders has this sort of, like, I don't know, a unique perspective on the franchise, because he said before, he views Sonic the Hedgehog as a comic book character first, which is which incredibly is... bizarre to me. <laughs> Ah, yes, the video game character is in fact not a video game character. He is a comic book character. I am an artiste on the page! Yeah, and like we mentioned before, he would write in his own ideas, like with the uh, the unused uh, Native American comic book uh, ideas, using the Sonic characters as mediums to tell his story. Another yeah. thing that I <laughs> had pointed out here was that the point about the ages, the ages of these characters. We'll get into that into a second, but Aaron, what's your piece? Oh, God, I don't want to talk about him. I don't want to talk about him, Speed. Neither do I. I don't want to talk about him, but obviously it's very, very, very noticeable that the original characters in this comic stand out a lot. And by a lot, we mean a lot, a lot. Yeah. And of course... The worst offender of all of them is Jeffrey St. John. Which, I want to point out something. It's been a long-time accusation that <laughs> that Jeffrey St. John was like a self-insert character for Ken Penders, which is not true. I need to make that 100% clear. That is not true. I, what I'm about to say like would be horrid if that was true. So, like, speed, I just... speed, speed. Listen, it's not Jeffrey St. John. It's Knuckles. Knuckles is the self-insert. Oh, thank God. Okay. <laughs> thank God. We're safe. We're safe. <laughs> We're safe. For so, now. <laughs> so I bring him up because there's one story where Jeffrey, and this is very early on, c complains about, and I quote, sending a pup to do a grown-up's job. I think the context of the situation was like they were like getting some Robotnik tech with Sonic and Sally, and Jeffrey is like there and keeps butting in. But the point I wanted to make this is that, listen... The ages of these characters are not at all the point of the story. The fact that Sonic and <laughs> Sally and all the Freedom Fighters are teenagers is literally irrelevant. Like, it doesn't matter. The only relevance of their age is to fit within the demographic of the character. Exactly. Because the, because the whole point of Sonic is that he's the, the, the character in the world is supposed to be... You know, it's got to have a little bit of attitude and a little bit of edge. And that's sort of the, the, the feel of the comic, right? But this age problem and this age thing becomes... Very bizarre. It, I can't fucking say it because it's so awful. Well, well it, look, before... It. No, I'm not going to get into it right now, but I'm going to say something as well. 
when Jeffrey St. John was first introduced, I, as a reader, could not understand the point of his character, okay? So in the story he was introduced, he was shown off as like a double agent, right? The story was that like he's trying to help Sally like train the new recruits for the Freedom Fighters and like try to also do something with Robotnik's tech. However, like the first issue that he was in showed him like working alongside Robotnik seemingly. But at the end of it, it was like, no, I'm a double agent. I'm loyal to king and country first. Uh, This was all a ploy. So he was written with like a very, very smarmy personality. The kind where you could look at this guy and you would think something's up with this guy. I don't know what, but he's incredibly suspicious. I don't know what's going to come about this character, but it feels like he knows something that all the other characters don't and plans to use it against them. However, that's not what happened. And that sort of aspect of his personality was dropped near the end of Ken Penders' run. But the fact remains is that very early on, I didn't get the point of the character. And I, maybe it is me. Maybe I'm just too tiny brain to think to wonder what Ken Penders' grand vision was. But the point remains, this was kind of a needless character because it felt like this character was supposed to be built up for something a lot more, and it just never came about. Asterisk. Hmm. All we're gonna say. The problem with Jeffrey St. John as a character is that his existence is essentially, oh, I hate that hedgehog, but I'm on the good guy's side. Yeah. The problem is just, all Jeffrey St. John does is mauled the fuck out that Sonic does things his way. And then... And succeeds. And succeeds constantly while Jeffrey St. John fails over and over and over and over again every time he has a plan. I can understand the idea of the jealous rival, but he's not a jealous rival. He's just angry and pathetic and nobody likes him. He's a cuck. That's the thing about a lot of these characters. At the end of the day, I feel like most of these characters have a lot of more potential. And at the very least, they have a solid floor. So a lot of these characters have a solid floor that could be built up with later. I cannot say that about Jeffrey St. John. Not at all. No. Without a doubt. No. Under 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 Penders' tutelage? Fuck no. Jeffrey St. John was always a bad character. And I think that it's pretty much a universally accepted fact that his entire existence during these comics is completely irrelevant. He doesn't he doesn't move the plot forward. He's uninteresting. The one time he does something is fuck up the system of Acorn Society by essentially binding uh, Elias in a chokehold via his kingdom almost com- coming crumbling down. And it leads him to basically go full depression. See, that's the thing. That was another reason why I say that. Because you have, in that specific scenario... You now have Jeffrey St. John trying to basically manipulate the king. So now it's like, okay, maybe this is where something moves on. Maybe some like unused concepts that Ken Penders can get to. Now this is going to get introduced and we're going to finally see the point of this character. No. 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 So to move on. Um, oh, no. Not yet because uh, uh, behind the scenes talk right now. But uh, okay, I, I okay, wrote in a little okay. something that I forgot to send you. But... Um, there's no good way to say this, but at some point, Ken Penders plagiarized a Holocaust poem to make it about echidnas. 
What? You know what? I, I cannot. I'm just going to look it up. What? Hold on. Wait. Ken. Wait. 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 Oh. Wait. 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 I'm going to need a second body. Oh, yo. Lavone. He did what? So I just I just typed in Ken Penders H on Google. The first suggested response: Ken Penders Holocaust. Oh. Okay. Oh. Okay. My God. Okay. Uh, where oh is it? Where God. is it? Uh. Okay, oh. I found it. Okay. I'm just gonna read it to you verbatim. All okay. right. Okay. Robotropolis thirty two thirty eight. During Dr. Robotnik's takeover through roboticization, the SWAT bots came up for the foxes, and I did not speak up because I was not a fox. Then they came for the rabbits, then I did not speak up because I was not a rabbit. Then they came for the squirrels, but I did not because did not speak up because I was not a squirrel. Then they came for the hedgehogs, and I did not speak up because I was an echidna. Then they came for me, and by that time no one was left to speak up. Credited as anonymous. Now, the physical pain you're feeling right now, Aaron, I have felt that while I was reading that. I feel disgusted saying these words, okay? Like, I, this is not okay in any stretch of the imagination, but I feel like, I don't know, this needed to be said. Because what the fuck, man? What the fuck? For once, I- I'm speechless. <laughs> I I can't say anything. I- I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish, and... Wow. <laughs> wow, dude. Wow, dude. Dude, I actually want to cry. Like wow. I, I just I, I like I can feel tears starting to come out. Like this is upsetting. Like I maybe I'm over exaggerating a little bit, but like no, seriously, I mean, what the I just I, I listen. It's funny because that that <laughs> And by the way, that was what like, comes that, next that was, even funnier! It makes what comes next even funnier. By okay. the way, I need to stress. Okay, 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 okay. Before we start that, I just want to stress that was actually printed in a Knuckles comic. Anyway, anyways, <sighs> so we, we prepare yourselves because if you thought that was the bombshell, holy fucking shit! I hope you're ready for <sighs> for the next one. <laughs> oh, oh, Allah, give me strength. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> so there's a there's a pretty infamous tweet. Out there that Ken Penders posted. Completely unprompted, by the way. He did unprompted. not. Unprompted. No fucking prompted. <laughs> so, Ken tweeted at one point. He wanted to write a story where Jeffrey St. John took Sally's virginity. Obviously, he couldn't fucking do that because this comic book is for children. I shall quote Ken Penders on this day. Sonic may be fast, but Jeffrey was faster in that department. <laughs> yes! Why? This was completely unhinged. No fucking context. He just tweets it, bro. What? Yeah. Ken Penders has become terminally online in the years since writing Sonic the Hedgehog, which is a, a travesty for mankind. And by the way, yes, that tweet was his best engaged tweet of all time, so I hope it was worth it, Ken. I really <laughs> hope I, it was worth it. 
I I have a very vivid memory of seeing this tweet, quote retweeting it, and saying, "Bro, are you for fucking real right now?" Um, it also. <laughs> I can't, dude. Like, <laughs> crying. Do you do you see what this is doing to us? <laughs> Holy sh- fucking shit, dude. Okay, but it also goes without saying when he tweeted this that people were disgusted because Jeffrey was nineteen and Sally was fifteen. And you know what? Here's another thing. Even Ken Penders would then go on to. Double down. He, he fucking up. he placed his cards on the table <laughs> he and said, "Hit me, <laughs> my man." Double down and said, "No, the age of consent is actually fifteen on Mobius, and actually the royal family would like marry their children off politically like that." So it's like, fine, dude. I don't know what you're getting at. Which okay, wait, no, no, stop, stop. I need to breathe for a second because listen, <laughs> Ken Penders. I am addressing you now. Ken, this is for your ears specifically. The next time you do fuck shit like this, because there's going to be a next time. There is going to be a next time. Don't fucking say that. Just say, bro, what do you mean? Like, these are fictional characters. Get get, Get a sense of reality, which would be hilarious coming from you, Ken. But if you were to just have said, these are fictional characters, like, don't get so upset about it. I would have looked at that and I was like, uh... Okay, fine, whatever. I don't see why you felt the need to tweet this, but whatever, fine. But the fact that you doubled down was what made it worse, Ken. I just, like, I don't, just why? Why did you tweet that? You deserve to have your Ethernet cord cut after that, Ken. Log off, please. Bro, go touch grass. It's not that hard. <laughs> it's right outside your fucking doorstep, buddy. Listen, I mean, the two bombshells that were just dropped are like... Hiroshima and Nagasaki? <laughs> yes. But, like, there are mini nukes all over the place with what we're about to read. So, yes. fucking... So, strap yourselves the fuck in because yes. we're, go- we're, we're, we're gonna continue. We're going to talk now about the unused concepts like that, you know, not like that, but like unused concepts that Ken wanted to do with the comics before he stepped away. So before we touch on that, actually, I need to stress something. So Robo Robotnik, Robotnik from another universe, like transferred to like fill the role. And when he was transferred to his Eggman design in the Sonic Adventure adaption, I just assumedly began to call him Eggman on the show, basically on the assumptions that the characters would follow suit. However, that never happened. They just always called him Robotnik despite the design change. So that's, like, something I needed to clear up. However, that also just begins to show more about, like, Ken Penders, like, not following along with the rest of the script at Sega. Blah, blah, blah. We, we've talked about this ad infinitum at this point. Yes, but... yes. So another thing I wanted to stress. So in 159, the last issue we covered, the last issue he wrote for, there was a scene where Eggman referred to rotor is like oh you know our dear rotor and sonic says like why did you say it like that rotor does he know something that we don't so ken penders in his infinite wisdom and beauty wanted to his intention he wanted to reveal rotor as a gay character now 
This was like the early 2000s. So that would have been like pretty... Like, that would have been, like, a very huge markstone for, like, LGBT representation at the time, okay? Yeah. So, like, I'm giving him, like, the credit that he clearly wanted, okay? You did... You wanted something, Ken, and I respect that. And, in fact, the character of Kobar in Mobius 25 years later was actually supposed to be his partner. However, obviously, this never came to fruition, and there's a lot of reasons for that, like, Ken Pender's quitting, but also, like... Early 2000s, Archie and Sega didn't want to, like, take that stance because it was seen as political at the time. Yeah, as homophobia the, the, and the yeah, blah, 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 blah. The, yeah. and the... it's, it's, it's very crazy to think about, um, but there really was a time when stuff like this was just completely unacceptable in any, like, mass media whatsoever. So, and, you know, if there's anything to talk about with the early 2000s, it's the endless uh, gay and homophobic jokes that were made all over the place. So... Yeah, so, Our, uh, Sega and Sega and Archie didn't want a bullet on their back, essentially. However, and <laughs> this is going to be skipping ahead a little bit, but this is also something that I really do feel the need to talk about while we're on the topic. So, when Ian Flynn takes over, Kobar is one of the characters that's mandated to be killed off by the editors. For the record, in the past, Ken has blamed Ian personally for killing off a gay character, and that's like obviously like nowadays. That's seen as, like, you know, like, queer baiting and, like, you know, a whole thing. There are a lot of other people who could, like, talk about that subject way better than I can. So, I'm just going to leave it at that. However, I will also say, number one, no one knew he was gay at the time. It wasn't even on Ian Flynn. It was an editorial mandate as well. So, to put personal blame on Ian, Ken, is fucked up. Like, that. that's just, like... You're like again fishing for drama here. That's really common that Ken does with his Twitter. He like he fishes for drama when he wants more engagement effectively. It's it's upsetting and that 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 claim right there really gets me heated, Ken. Like that is incredibly fucked up you would say something like that. You I, I, he I does, mean, but, but Ian like, Flynn but, deserves an apology from you for that. But you know what? What do I know? I'm just a guy on the internet. But but the reality but the reality is is that like Ken will never apologize. No, know why he'll never apologize because Ken Penders is so far up his own fucking ass and thinks that he's God's gift to Earth for writing that no one will ever be able to uh, no one will ever be able to, to to match up to his genius. He's so he's so revolutionary for coming up with a for coming up with the idea of 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 Rotor being gay um, that. Uh, nobody knew about it until way after the fact and then said that and then you accuse another writer uh, and 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 uh, storyteller uh, for killing off a gay character when nobody fucking knew. Shut the fuck up. Nobody cares. You're fucking deluded. You are the reason why homophobia exists in this world, buddy. Fuck off. Please. And to like add to, to make this the cherry on top little factoid. Ken would at one point also claim that, you know, he paved the way with this for Archie <laughs> to introduce Kevin Keller to like the main Archie comics, who was their first gay character. So when that was when that character was first revealed, Ken Pender said that, which is like at this point that just like just shows more proof of his delusions of grandeur. So like there you go. Y- you guys got it now. You have that information under your belt. Uh yeah. Let me let me let me let me take the burden off of you for a bit, buddy. So, yes. 
Obviously, him writing for the Knuckles comics was due to him wanting as much control over the story as possible and inserting all of the unused ideas that he had from a variety of other comic pitches. And he basically turned the Knuckles comic into his baby, as we've talked about many, 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 many times before. He obviously claimed that the Knuckles comics outsold the main books before its cancellation, and it was only canceled due to, quote-unquote, executive shakeups. Infamously, Sonic Super Special number 7 was a crossover with image comic characters, such as Spawn, Max, etc. And this happened because Ken Penders actually wrote at Image as well. For those who don't know, Image Comics is well known for allowing creators to retain rights to the works and characters, and several Image Comics characters would go on to become franchises beyond the comic book origins. Uh, the Walking Dead and Invincible are the two that are the biggest and most well-known. This is also why Image Comics was initially formed. There was a breakout in the 80s and 90s from Marvel and DC because of the lack of create lack of owning the rights to the characters, right? Right. I, I believe Todd McFarlane was the guy who found Image Comics, or was he just a writer there? Mm, I'm not sure. 100% on that one, but... Do you mind Do you mind if I take a look? Go ahead. I feel like this is so I can uh, say the joke that I wrote. <laughs> what, I'm saying, what I'm saying here is that if we had like a couple of years of time displacement, we could have seen Negan and Omni-Man next to Sonic the Hedgehog. And I think the fact that we never had that is a shame on humanity. <laughs> it, is, it is a little bit of a... A little... A little uh... L- little bit of a shame. Just a hey, laugh. listen. If Negan can be in in Tekken Seven, I think he can be next to Sonic the Hedgehog. Okay, I'm just saying, folks. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, Image Comics was found by Eric Larson, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, Todd McFarlane, uh, Will uh, Portacio, Mark Silvestri, and Jim Valentino. All people who had worked or done work in the comic book industry as creatives. They started their own joint. Ken worked for them. And he was able to use some of his leverage there in order to get characters in uh, into a super special. Funnily enough, uh, this super special is the only story that's never been reprinted. For obvious reasons, because this is a licensing nightmare. Exactly. Uh, in that super special, uh, I, Speed, did you cover it? Yeah. For a reminder, for those of you who, who did not uh, read it, like me. Uh, Ken Penders created a handful of characters under the image banner, so he retained rights to them. Namely, Particle, a superhuman, and Dr. Ian Drioid, uh, who went unnamed in the actual story. Uh, these characters were supposed to be used in Ken Penders' comic, The Lost Ones, which I assume was the Native American comic that he was trying to make. But it was published under image, and only one issue was released. Uh, Penders, in his constant, I don't know... Like, he tries to, like... He says words. He says words. That's what he does. He says words, but it's always about, like, he's trying to deflect the fact that, like, his shit is not good. So he keeps deflecting, right? And, like, projecting. He's like, oh, he claims The Lost Ones was a bestseller at Image and only one issue was published due to executive shakeups. Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt your programming. We have some breaking news. Speed and Aaron have come here from the future to give crucial information. So, if you can remember, in a, pre- a previous episode where we covered a Sonic Super Special number 7, and I put out a call to action in that episode, if anyone could find me Ken Pender's The Lost Ones, please direct me to them. Even if you still had it, name your price kind of situation. 
So imagine my surprise when I open a Twitter DM from listener uh, Tokyo Bananas, Yardovic1 on Twitter. Number I, First, I should say thank you for, you know, like, completing my call to action. Like, you're the one. Like, I say thank you for doing it, but also, like, you impart a curse upon my household. Because <laughs> what I have in my hands right here is the Lost Ones, issue one. Signed. See- by fucking Penders himself. To my government name as well. Look at that. I I just I can't, man. I just can't. Look. Look. Here here's the thing, right? Number one, this was only ten dollars. So like, thank God I didn't like shell out anything exorbitant. But at the same time, like I I what how did my <laughs> life come to this point? Because I have been sitting this has been sitting on like my back counter since I got it a couple days ago. And every time I look at it, I get like a feeling of existential dread. Because here's the thing. The reason I wanted to buy it was because I've never read it. I couldn't find scans of it online. I had no idea what this is. The focal character is Particle, who was introduced in Sonic Super Special number 7. So I had a mild interest in what this was. Now, most probably it's going to be the Ken Penders exposition dump that we all know and love. But I... I, I can't open this. If you can't, I no. can't. Like this is gonna be like opening Pandora's box. A curse will be put upon my household. It's true, man. I, you can't. You can't open that. You gotta leave it in the the wrapping and everything. It's it's <sighs> it's too powerful. It really is. I mean, it's in great condition for a comic from. Uh, does it say when it was? I mean, 2000. it's probably two thousand. It's from two thousand. Yeah. Fuck. Twenty one year old comic guys. Kept in really good condition, and hey. So yeah, that's that's what happened. That was our breaking news segment. Um, I am irreparably cursed. Support on patreon.com slash sonicspeed to help me not financially recover from it, but just emotionally recover from it. I yeah. deserve And also, Ken Penders, I now have even more of a right to shit on you. I paid you dividends, all right? I've earned the right. He's paid hedgehog reparations. Actually, echidna reparations. No, that's better. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, that's gonna be a that that's that's a bad considering uh, uh, a previous conversation we've had in the episode. But uh, yes, what what who does? What does it matter? What does it matter? What does it matter, man? Back to the show. So yeah, research shows that there was no executives enter, entering or leaving image around the time of the comics publication. Ken Penders is just fucking jerking himself off at this point. Making excuses at worst. Yeah. Uh, Droid was uh, supposed to be the main villain of Knuckles 20 years later. And the it was and as we all know, Knuckles 20 years later was originally the concept for Mobius 25 years later. Speed, I think it's time we finally addressed the elephant in the room, Knuckles 20 years later. Mm-hmm. So Knuckles 20 years later was going to kick off with a scene where Julie Sue was told that she was pregnant. Now, in Ken, Ken Penders fashion. Ken Penders fashion. <laughs> but Ken Penders said that he intended that he intended that to be like the first page with the message that the reader would get is like in quotes, this would be a story like no other, which I guess Mission Yeah, sure buddy, and sure is like no other. <laughs> Yeah, and along the way of development, a uh, droid being the central villain was quote simplified into just being Eggman, which is like okay, yeah, sure, but I also remember in that comic that uh 
droid like sees Sonic and Knuckles and he recognizes them and obviously like there's like time displacement shit going on so Sonic and Knuckles don't know who he is but droid is like oh but you will know me in the future ha 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 so like that goes nowhere but who who fucking cares on that note uh let's talk more about the unused concepts of Ken's why don't we oh boy I hope you guys are ready for some uh Oh, the pain, the pain. This is going to be very special, guys, okay? Very so, special. So, uh, to begin, uh, Ken Penders actually came up with a concept of two villains who were basically parodies of the Mario Brothers, but Sega rejected it for being too obvious. Good on them. They actually, they shut his shit down for once. Which is actually kind of interesting because Sonic the Comic basically had the same concept there were like two characters called the marxio brothers so like i don't know what happened there in fact you know what wait i'm I'm stopping everything because i know uh ken penders had concept art of this so let me see if i can find this. wait really yeah ken penders mario brothers let's see all right i found it thank god all right so i am going to Drop this link to you. Wow, that's that's too on the nose. Yeah, I see why they uh, rejected that. What's a yours is a car mine. I just, I'm, I'm just gonna let this one, you know, speak for itself. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh my god. Well, okay. That, well, that was special. Uh. So, there were a lot of ideas also for the Antiverse concept. The very beginning of it was basically just a character named Dr. Sonic, which, assumedly, it would have been just Sonic and Robotnik's roles reverse, but they eventually expanded the concept to, like, a total world axis flip, which is good. Because, you know, like, uh, I I feel like having just a Dr. Sonic would be kind of boring. So, Penders and another writer, Mike Gallagher, wrote the Sally miniseries, one idea that they had was that Sally was going to find her mom roboticized, leading an underground Robian civilization, and would become a recurring threat to her and the Freedom Fighters. And there was another concept for, like, a road trip story arc with her and Bunny going to the other side of Mobius. Nothing too special there. Kind of interesting to see what would have happened with, like, Sally's mom as a Robian, though. But moving on, though. As we mentioned previously, the Endgame arc. Sally was supposed to be killed off for real. She fell off a building in issue 47. And if the story, if Ken Penders got his way, she would have been replaced with a robot duplicate should the series have continued. Because remember, Endgame was meant to be the finale of the comics since the Sat AM, the TV show, was canceled a couple years prior to this comic being released. Right. So Sega intervened with the death of Sally, supposedly saying that they had marketing plans for the character, but if the robot double plan was to move forward, it would have been the plot line of the comic for, quote, many issues to come. Which is completely understandable. Another interesting note is that issue 50 was supposed to be an extra long book uh, when it was planned to be the last issue. Uh, The final release ended up being a cut version of the standard 24-page comic, and Sonic Super Special number 6 is the original version of issue 50 as planned. Oh boy! If you thought all that was a lot, you're not ready for what comes next. I, 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 if I may, 
if I may, or would you like to? Please. So speaking of sad AM, Ben Hurst, head writer for the TV show, uh, posted a pretty lengthy blog about an attempt to get a third season of Sad AM off the ground. Even meeting with Sega Executive about the idea, this exec loved the suggestion, proposing a feature-length movie to be the third season. Now, if you know anything about Sonic the Hedgehog, you know that there had been several attempts to make a Sonic film happen over the years, before we eventually got Paramount's version, right? Right. Development hell, many canceled projects, but this, my friends, was the first. And of course, Penders, working on the comic at the time, heard about it through the grapevine, and reached out to Ben to try to partner up with him. And Ben offered Ken to partner with him and told him his strategy to get the idea off the ground. That was his first mistake. The next day, the Sega exec called Ben back and lit into him, saying, and I quote, People pay us to make Sonic products. We don't pay them. And hung up on Ben. Ben believes Ken, in his infinite wisdom, uh, relayed his strategy to the exec in a less than flattering way. Ben Hurst had one sentence to say about the conversation. Thanks for the knife, Ken. the curve. It's just like it's just so upsetting. Like it it is it is It's just like number number one, Sat AM was you know, it became a cult classic, at least amongst the Sonic community at the time. And the attempts to make a third season have been like long-winded even to the point now that there's like currently a fan production uh, for a sad am third season trying to use some of like ben hurst's unused concepts for a third season uh if i can remember correctly let me let me pull back a little bit so the final episode of the tv show concluded with like you know the defeat of dr robotnik so it seems and Snively comes out of like a containment pod with like a maniacal dictator looking outfit saying that like, oh, you know, I'm in charge now. They think they've won, but I'm not alone. So he moves out a shot. And then inside the capsule, we see some glowing red eyes. And it was for a long time in the fandom, a very like heated source of debate on who this was supposed to be. Uh, the three popular ones were Ixis Nagus. That was the main one I know a lot of people talked about around the subject. And uh, other alternate theories were Metal Sonic or Knuckles even. But eventually Ben Hurst revealed that that was an Ixis Nagus in fact. However, uh, Knuckles along with the Floating Island would have been central characters in Season 3. Which makes sense. You know, if you want to open up the world and have them, you know, start exploring outside of the interwar conflict, you know, they need help. So who do they turn to but Knuckles and, you know, all the, the Echidna stuff. But... So, obviously, Ken Penders, because he's a fucking psychopath, killed Sat AM th- Season 3. And Ken... Well, Ken's response to this is... Special. Oh, it, it's teeth grinding. Ken wrote in his form that this happened because... Prepare to laugh. Ben Hurst doesn't know anything about Hollywood. 
and implied he'd be the one to write a Sonic feature film. A truly hilarious thing to say in the year 2021. New season of Curve in October, by the way. Big for the Jewish community. Very big. Anyways, Ken would also say in regards to Ben that apparently he views that the torch was passed on to him in regards to Sonic the Hedgehog. What? Yep, that was a thing that certainly was said. And Ben clarified that, like, no, 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 no. The torch was passed on to Ken by default. And he believes that Ken phrases it a certain way to give the implication that Ben approves of Ken's work as a continuation of the TV series. He doesn't. I've never even read a single comic. Direct quote. And now it is time. So listen, listen. You're probably wondering, well, what 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 idea does Ken have that's so much fucking better than Ben Hurst than a third season of Saturday M. Well, folks, Ken Penders decided to pitch a concept for a Sonic movie titled Sonic Armageddon, creating pieces of concept art and a homemade reel to uh, give the idea of the film. So, you know what? Why don't we... First off, let's review. Okay? I have some of the concept art, Aaron. I'm going to show you them in turn. Why don't we? Oh, of course. Of course. All right. I mean, so, I've, I've seen these images before, but I would like to take another look again. It's been a little while. All right. So here's the first image. What are we seeing? Uh, we're seeing uh, very poorly drawn characters. <laughs> uh, you know, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, we're seeing uh, Sonic. Uh, Sally, uh, Knuckles with human teeth. Gross. Uh, uh, Julie Sue, Tails, Mighty, Uncle Chuck, Vector, uh, Espio. Is, is that like... I think that's supposed to be Sonic's parents. Yeah, and, and, and then king max and his wife and then there there's eggman and uh i i i mean does this does this need to be explained any more than it already has been it's it's of uh, uh, by the way of fucking course ken penders has to put fucking julie sue here because of course he needs to make sure that his little intellectual property demons are littered all over this fucking nightmare right right and the concept for uh sonic armageddon was that mobius i believe would have been destroyed for some reason and now they're just like fucking off or something like it's never it was never properly fleshed out but that's the idea so the next uh piece of concept art shows uh sonic and sally seeing (laughs) mobius destroyed (laughs) i mean what else do we need to say does i think this image is like so Ooh, it's so raw so special it's, it's just really like, you special. can feel the emotion. You really can feel the emotion, can't you? You can feel that emotion, man. It's uh, real, real special. I yeah, like, Sonic that. is, like, looking... Wait, Sonic has blue eyes in this. What the fuck? I know. What the fuck? This is not okay. 
Uh, that's, that's fucking weird. Well, at least his arms aren't blue. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, so Sally's like in his arms crying. They're seeing Mobius like destroyed in like some kind of like whatever. It's gone. It's dead, Jim. So let's move on to the next piece of concept art. Uh, what are we looking at here? <laughs> Sonic's dad. Sonic. Why does Sonic's dad look like a goblin? <laughs> he looks like a goblin. He does. Yeah, I don't know. I, and wait, and also let's also point this out. Uh he uh, uh he's he's like flesh. He's not a Robian, which contradicts his own lore. Shaking my head. Yeah, SMH, bro. SMH. <sighs> yeah, I never mean... any fucking integrity in this industry. <laughs> <laughs> There's never any integrity. Yeah, also, so Sonic's also playing the guitar. I guess his dad's just coming to talk to him for some reason. Uh, also, I think on, a mo- on the monitor, he, I, is that Sonic 1 or something? That's bizarre. I, I, I don't know. A- anyways. Anyway, the final concept art that we have for you. Right. What is this? You know, I can't tell you. All right, so uh, another key concept about this movie was that roboticization was going to be shown as a more gruesome process. So here we're seeing Snively in a very weird design, like almost like he's been like Borgified or whatever. Yeah, like he's been he assembled like he's a by fucking the Borg, and he's like, you know, pointing at a monitor. And there's like a Mobian bear that's undergoing the roboticization process, which if you remember from like the show in the comics, they're just like shoved into a tube, a button is pressed, and we see like their flesh turn to metal. But here, it looks like Snively is like doing surgery on this fucking bear, replacing his legs with like robotic parts. It's fucking, it's fucking something, man. I don't know. It's it's just really shitty CG, and I I really would not like to look at it anymore. Yeah. So why don't we look at something equally as worse, but still part of the story? I mentioned before that Ken Penders had a homemade pitch for the story. Let's review that right now, shall we? Oh boy. So I I have a, uh... I have a sink tube link thrown in there for you. We're really getting into this, aren't we? Oh uh, yeah. I'm not leaving any stone unturned. Oh boy. Um well speed uh All right. this video. I'm ready. Alright, so uh for future me editing this, I'll play this video in three, two, one, now. <laughs> Dude, what is this music? <laughs> okay, no, stop, 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 stop. Productions? Already we've got a problem, okay? So yes, Ken Penders named his uh his production company Floating Island Productions. I feel like that speaks for itself. I'm having an aneurysm. I haven't even started watching and my brain is hurting. <laughs> Moving on, continuing uh, now. Okay. Presents... Okay. So we're seeing like a Sega screen, some kids. They said it was just a video game, but I playing Sonic it. CD. After all, my dad's job was to search for life on other planets. What? Although many versions of the events he witnessed made their way out into the media, that was just security doing its job. <gasps> Wait, what do you mean security? big, right? Anyway, this is what my dad said really happened. Wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. What, what, the, what is, is happening? 
Wait, what? Okay, first number one, who are those kids? Why is, like, Ken, like, filming into a fucking, uh, like, filming into the living room <gasps> seeing his kids play Sonic CD? Oh my what the oh hell is going on? Oh, my lord. Oh, oh, I feel like I'm being taken to a higher plane of existence. <laughs> this is too much. You're becoming one with the chaos force. You have to stop. You have to stop. I can't handle that right now. Continuing. A Larry Houston Ken Penders film. Oh, boy. <laughs> Sonic Armageddon. Armageddon. So it's just a logo over like a... What is this music? <laughs> what is this music? That's me like stock music. I mean, the background is definitely stock footage. So it's like... Oh, so it's like a storyboard now. Zooming shot on Earth, I guess? No, it's the Mobius. It says Mobius. Why is it going into South America? Wait, what the... Okay, so now we're seeing some hut. The front door. Oh, now we see Sonic silhouette. So Wait, what? No, 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 what? stop, stopping, stopping again. Okay, we need to recap. So Sonic, like, entered, I guess it was Uncle Chuck's house and found some blueprints for, like, a birthday gift for Sonic. And I guess now Sonic's taking it for a ride. What it is, I, for the love of God, cannot explain. I'm playing it again. Uh, It's just, like, a, it's a hoverboard and he's going through the forest? I oh, and now he's dead. What the fuck was that? Speed, I need to be completely honest with you. That might actually be be one of the worst pitches for anything I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> like legitimately. No, you're right. You're you're right. I yeah. I I I'm 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 amazed right now. <laughs> how does this how did this man make how how did he create work? How how did he create things? This this is it's it's an atrocity. I I yeah I'm speechless too. Like I I I, I what was that? Like I it, like I don't even know if like the concept of the movie that he wanted to share was like explored because it just felt like this was the opening scene basically. Oh I mean I. I do we really need to say much? I mean, like, I want to. I feel like I should, but nothing's coming out of me. I just feel upset. I just feel upset looking at that. <laughs> well, I... uh, regardless, regardless. Um, So, because Sonic X was, like, in development at this time, Sega did not want to have any brand confusion, as it was said, so they... Shelved the idea, and I'm sure that's what they told Ken Penders. Ken Penders said that this project was officially shelved in 2007 to, quote, massive corporate upheaval. This is the third time we've seen this excuse. That's I, interesting. I, I just, just shut the fuck up. 
Shut the fuck up! <laughs> Nobody even wants you here. Alright, so let's... We're almost Thank done. You. So back to the oh. comics! You know, the reason why we're fucking here. The comics! Yes. After Carl Bowler's left, Penders had like a couple pieces he needed to pick up from. Mainly the breakup between Sonic and Sally. And here's something interesting. So... He wanted to actually finish the Mobius 25 Years Later storyline, which is kind of like an interesting thing to learn because the way that he finished it seemed like his ending, even though it wasn't an ending. But we've already said our piece on that, so moving on. I have I have something to mention about that. What? Um, we're going to talk about it a lot more next episode when we start dealing with Ian Flynn. But I would like to remind you that Ken Pender's broken fucking uh, house uh, that is on fire at this point, Ian Flynn has just walked into and moved into. Uh, he's got to clean, and he's got to make the place look presentable. Uh, there's a lot of that to be done, and you'll see it, and you'll understand. <sighs> yes, uh... yes. Okay, so, so... So, to to finish this off, Sonic would have failed the mission, which would have led to Nicole being created and being sent back in time as per, you know, the situation shown in the Sonic in Your Face special. There was also a plot line where Bunny and Antoine were going to get married. So, Antoine pops the question at some point. Bunny would not have given him an answer until issue 175. The marriage would have been around issue 200. The thought of Ken Penders being on this comic any longer than that makes me want to jump off a bridge. As does it for me. So, brothers, my friends, tell us. Okay, so here's here's the $50 million question. What was the straw that finally broke the camel's back? It's pretty simple, actually. Issues 157 through 159, which we covered last time, were supposed to be an adaptation of Shadow the Hedgehog to promote the game. Sega did not give Archie any materials from the game to work off of. As was the norm. So Penders threw something together real fast and wanted more creative freedom. Archie didn't give it to him. And so, the person who defeated Ken Penders was in fact none other than Ken Penders. He quit Archie, realizing that working on a licensed comic book doesn't give you much creative room to work with. And the cherry on top, he wanted to pursue a career in Hollywood. Wow, that's upsetting. So Ken Penders killed himself. He deleted himself from Archie, and the comic, in turn, was finally free of the man who had made it into the absolute disaster it had become. There is one final thing that we have not talked about in detail with Ken Penders. It is huge. It is massive. But it is not the right time to talk about it. Yes, and for astute listeners and astute, you know, people who follow the comic basically up to its cancellation, you know exactly what we're talking about. However, 
I personally don't think it's the good time to talk about it because number one, if I were to talk about it, that'd be another hour to this podcast and it's long enough already. I'm sparing you guys. Yes. But also it's just, it doesn't feel right to talk about it here because when Ian Flink comes in, the comic is going to be transformed. Like, like, like a measly little worm on the leaf will become a beautiful butterfly in time. So to talk about what happens next with Ken Penders kind of ruins the mood in my opinion i i agree as well i think that we have already that 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 the two of us have both we have mentally hit rock bottom not only did ken penders destroy the will and and heart of somebody who tried to understand the comics he fucked over ben hurst he completely and totally mismanaged and ruined a, a video game comic to the point that it was decried and mocked for years to come, even now. And his selfishness and insanity continues to run rampant, unchecked, and unopposed to this day. That is not the note we want to leave off on. Because hope lives in Ian Flynn. Mm-hmm. Hope lives within this comic. It starts next episode. It is good vibes only from here on out. I, I, I promise you. I promise you. It's not going to be perfect. But everything you're ta- everything we talk about from here on out, you're going to be hearing a lot more general discussion. Because it's not just going to be dunking on stupid shit. And also not exposition dumps either. Yeah, no more of that. None. Oh my god. So, I think on that note, we can... We can close this chapter of Archie's Sonic the Hedgehog comic book because, as I mentioned in the beginning, this was the classic era of the comics. But more importantly, I think it's also fair to say it was the Ken Penders era because a lot of the silliness, a lot of the a lot of the dumb things that you may have seen out of context online came from Ken and he kind of has to own that. He will, you know, talk about being on Twitter, terminally online, defending himself to the high heavens. And you know what, Ken? If that's, you know, if you truly believe that your work is, you know, something like artistic and something that is like worthy of talking about, well, then here you go. You've got what you wanted. You've got two fucking dudes on the internet doing uh, as best of a deep dive discussion as we possibly can to your work. And I, I tried to be fair. I really did. There were a lot of moments where I thought, Ken, you had something special here. You've got good moments. And I think with some fine-tuning, this could be a lot better than what it actually was. That's my final note on the Ken Penders era. It is something with a lot of promise. The foundation you set up, Ken, solid. You just didn't have anything good built on top of it. The fundamental issue with Ken Penders, as I have said many times before is that he himself cannot look beyond himself. He is so self-obsessed, so vitriolic, and so addicted to the idea of him being a, a, a master storyteller that he can't set up anything worth for shit. He can create a so- strong foundation, but nothing more. Mm-hmm. Ken Penders is not a good writer. He's not a good artist. He's not even a good ideas man. I mean that. Ken wake up nobody views you that way and no matter how much you try to convince us otherwise nobody cares 
Go touch grass, buddy. And on that note, we'll see you next time for Sonic the Hedgehog number 160, the beginning of a new era of Archie Sonic the Hedgehog. Goodbye, folks.